Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're talking Eagles-Giants again as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 284. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my friend Ben Fennell about the Eagles' Week 10 matchup against those New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. Ben is a big part of the production of Eagles game plan, and with that in mind, we'll talk about what went into making this week's show coming out of the bye week, the keys to victory for the Eagles, some big matchups, some numbers that you need to know going into the game. We'll hit on all of it in Chalk Talk. After that, Ben and I will go through our scouting report segment, and this week we're going to focus in on one of the more dynamic players at his position, one of the most enigmatic players on this team, and that's tight end Evan Ingram. What does he bring to the table? How can he impact this game and the value of the tight ends that are especially built like Evan Ingram? So we'll cover all that in our scouting report. And then that's not it, though, because at the end of the show, I caught up with Eagles defensive back Avante Maddox to talk about his athletic background and coming on to play multiple positions throughout the course of his young career already here in Philadelphia. Before we get to that, though, a couple of quick things I want to talk, make sure we hit on. Uh, As a quick reminder, the best way to throw us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. If you have a question on there, we will get to it right here on the show. I love everybody that has already gone on and thrown us your support. It's the best way for people that are just trying to find Eagles podcasts. If you go on and leave ratings and leave leave comments, leave questions, it boosts up uh, up the list there on Apple Podcasts, makes it more visible to everybody else that's looking for that kind of content. All right. Let's get into it now. I told you we were going to talk with Ben Fennell at the top. It's time now for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, back again here for Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, my friend Ben Fennell. Ben, uh, look, the big focus here this week, obviously the Eagles' first rematch of the 2020 season. They played the, the Giants last in Week 7. Now they see them again in Week 10, just three weeks later, two games removed. Uh, I think when you look uh, at this this game, at this show, uh, it was interesting because usually if the t- two teams play each other, you know, these division rivals, We've got time to kind of space that out. You know, hey, Washington, they play them in week one. They don't see them again until, what is it, week 13, week 14. Uh, you know, Dallas, oh, they play them in week six. They don't play them again until week 16, week 17. This year, not as much the case. So, uh, you know, with this one, it was a little bit of a challenge to try and t- how do we make these shows a little bit different? We want don't, don't want to hit the viewers uh, with the same topics, you know, that we did just two weeks ago. So I think looking at it from a Giants defensive standpoint, it was cool because they are playing better defensively, so uh, we were able to focus on some good things. I thought the segment that we did um, with Logan Ryan's game-winning interception, game-sealing interception this past week against Washington was a really fun play to break down, and Greg Cosell did a great job of breaking it down. And then offensively, the run game has kind of come alive a little bit. It's not you know an explosive run game, but uh, it's been the tone setter uh, for that offense. So that was really kind of the focus there, um, You know, just kind of looking at the way that this team has kind of evolved just over the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah, you know, it seems like a long bye week too, almost like a real divide in the season where it felt like that was a three-week bye week there. And we played the Giants two months ago, but it was really two weeks ago. I think, um, I think a lot of that, though, is because of everything that's going on in the country. That, like, says, like, oh, yeah, like, that feels like it was, like, six months It's been months an exhausting actually- 10 days, uh, and for, for more reasons than one, obviously. Uh, exactly. What our country's going through and politics and X, Y, and Z. But, yeah, the Giants are an interesting team, and they're it's going to be a different team from two weeks ago. It's yep. such a a constantly evolving NFL with the injuries and COVID. It's such a week-to-week, day-to-day league right now. But they're defensively, you know, they're playing pretty good ball. And they're preventing big plays and they're getting turnovers and playing a lot of good man coverage. And then on the offensive side, not turning the ball over and running the ball and just playing safer as you're getting into November and December. And Daniel Daniel Jones is starting to play a little bit more polished. And uh, you saw the three turnovers last week against the Washington football team. But again, zero turnover differential. They're second in the league with takeaways, but the differential is zero. The offense has to help them out. So I think they're getting good enough play on the defensive side of the ball week to week to win. Like we saw it on Monday night against the Buccaneers. I feel like that was kind of a national coming out party that, yeah, this is a competitive team. And, you know, when they start, you know, the game on the right foot, you know, they can they can give anybody, whether it's Tampa Bay or whoever it is in the league, a little bit of trouble. Yeah, this is a team that they're they're playing hard. And I think that's a credit uh, to that coaching staff. I want to hit you real quick because one one of the things we always try and do is you know take a little bit of a deep dive into an aspect of the game of the matchup from a schematic standpoint. And I, I mentioned um, you know the the run game has really come alive, and we've talked on the show uh, in the past about the differences between gap schemes and zone schemes. And this Giants offense, they rely more so on those gap schemes. And, and one run in particular has been their counter run play. You know, it's a, you, you get the back, the front side double team. So you get uh, the right guard, right tackle or left guard, left tackle. Those guys getting a double team on the three technique. You're pulling a backside guard and you're coming back across the formation as well with a tight end to the play side. And that tight end very often has been Caden Smith. And he's done a really good job uh, in that role as a point of attack player. And I think when you look at a lot of those runs, a lot of them have come from both 12 and 13 personnel, um, you know, and they, they will play a decent amount of 12 and 13. So that's what I wanted to ask you. The, the troubles of defending 12 and 13 personnel when you've got multiple tight ends on the field. And I'll let you kind of handle it from the pass game standpoint. What are the issues that kind of face a defense? If you're Jim Schwartz, if you're the Eagles defense, and you're looking at you know Evan Ingram, Caden Smith, Levine Toilolo, uh, those three tight ends, and how they're used in this offense. Well, the Giants personnel-wise obviously are putting defenses in conflict. Caden Smith's a good blocking tight end out of Stanford. They'll even work in some two-back stuff with Elijah Penny, who's a very much a through-and-through traditional fullback, which just gives the defense more to consider, a little bit more in the run game. But in the pass game, the multiple tight ends, because you have Caden Smith, Levine Toilolo, we know they're kind of extra tackles. But then they work in Evan Ingram in there, and he's kind of that X factor in the tight end group. So how they deploy those tight ends and where they are in the formation, you have to pretty much declare when they walk off the sideline. So when you see those three tight ends, Jim Schwartz is going to counter with heavier personnel, but then all of a sudden they might isolate, you know, Evan Ingram out wide where he's really like a oversized receiver. And then what do we do? Do we walk out of TJ Edwards or a Nate Gary and you get to put in some uh, defensive binds and conflicts with your personnel uh, based on formation. And when you have versatile players like uh, Evan Ingram, 
uh, that is a tight end on paper and you want a defense to respond with larger personnel, then all of a sudden you might have a matchup to take advantage of. Or maybe the defense stays small and nickel or big nickel, and then you find a blocking advantage for Caden Smith, uh, you know, up against a safety or a smaller linebacker. So I think the, the multiple tight end, you know, cat and mouse of offensive and defensive coordinators is one of the more interesting things in the NFL over the last five, six years. And then if you speak purely to a run game standpoint, which you just you talked about, like even just the individual matchup uh, of, a you know, hey, like a bigger tight end up against the safety or a nickel corner. The other part of that is the assignment part of that, you know, where you're looking at it from a run fit standpoint. Uh, you know, I, I think when you look, especially at 13 personnel, if you've got all three of those tight ends up on the line of scrimmage, that does put some stress on you as a defense because you've got now a bunch of extra gaps that must be accounted for in the run game. And then even as well, using those tight ends uh, as a wing and then inserting them into the formation. And they ran a couple of those plays against the Eagles back in week seven where, you know, Caden Smith would line up as a wing, we'll say on the right side, and then would go as a lead blocker up into the middle of the formation. That really messes with a linebacker with a safety in terms of his run fits and his gap responsibilities and, and Honestly, with a lot of teams not necessarily running that all the time in the NFL, if you don't see it that often, it's a, for if you've got young guys, inexperienced guys, that's a lot to rep. It's a lot to kind of process, and it, it can be hard to do. And that's why, uh, you know, if you see teams that kind of change thing up, th- things up and go that direction, uh, you know, it can be a, a little bit of a mental burden on you going into the week. Yeah, and I'm a huge fan of the counter-run scheme, which we saw a lot of the Giants over the last two weeks against Washington, against Dallas, against us uh, three weeks ago. And just for the fans at home, a very simple explanation. It's traditionally a weak side misdirection run. And I love it for two reasons. Number one, the weak side aspect, you try to get a defense to align to the strength and then you run to the weak side. The other thing is the counter aspect of it. So the running back is going to take a misdirection counter step, hopefully getting the defense to then influence with that counter step to then go the other direction. So I like some of the built-in uh, you know, schematic advantages, trying to get them align, uh, misalign, and then getting them to misinfluence with some of the action mm-hmm. and then bringing some of those backside defenders, excuse me, those backside blockers, typically a backside guard, typically a backside wing or a fullback, and getting numbers advantage on the play side again it's still a power run. So you're getting vertical displacement. I really like it. And I think it's uh, kind of a good slashing scheme for quick footed backs. Those guys that can put their foot in the ground, like a zone scheme back that counter run, typically one step misdirection foot in the ground and back downhill. So it has a similar kind of tendency of those one cut running backs. And what I like too is with, with those kind of gap schemes, it is relatively well-defined for the back. It's not like a zone scheme where you've got to kind of pick your way and you've got four different potential entry points uh, into the line of scrimmage. You've got, hey, I mean, I'm following this block or if not, I'm going out the back door or I'm going to bounce this outside. Like it, it's really a well-defined kind of scheme. And when you've got kind of these high cut runners, you look at Wayne Gallman. He's not a guy that is going to, he's got, he doesn't have the feet to necessarily like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sift through the garbage here, sift through the briar patch and pick my way through. Instead, I'm going. Hey, look, go be. You're going. You're going B gap on this play. You're going C gap on this play. If it's not there, bounce it outside or cut it back. But you know, it's a very well defined kind of system. And I think when you look at this counter play, it's been very. It's been a very uh, effective tool for them going uh, over the last couple of weeks for sure. I like that that you know where it's hitting. But you can't just hit it like a trap run. Right. It's all about the timing and the patience. And I think fans have a really good visual of Le'Veon Bell with the Steelers. Right. Just slow dancing behind the line of scrimmage, waiting for the blocks to develop, 
and then he hits it when that kind of those C's part. So you know where it's hitting, but it's not necessarily a through and through 100 mile an hour downhill trap run. You have to have a little bit of nuance and patience for those backside blocks to develop uh, over to the play side. So just for fans, again, the, the, you know that the Eagles will be repping this play in practice, and it will be uh, a big play that Alex Singleton, TJ Edwards, uh, you know, that, the rest of that linebacking core, Duke Riley, they will have seen a lot in practice this week. They've seen it on tape a lot. They have to be ready for it. They, it was a mostly like inside zone and duo kind of game for the Giants the last time the Eagles played, and we saw some misdirection stuff with jet sweeps and things of that nature. But I think ultimately uh, the counter run has been such a bread and butter play for the last two weeks. I would be surprised if they did not see it in this game. And again, uh, just from a, a run fit standpoint, they've got to be prepared for it. So that's the big thing there from the matchup. Were there, was there something that you felt like we didn't hit on on this week's show that you would have liked to see if we could have squeezed into the rundown? Just the Giants' propensity on defense to take the ball away. Yeah. When you look at the most takeaways in the league, number one, Buccaneers. Number two, the Giants. Number three, the Steelers. Like one of those teams just kind of stands out there in, in the rankings. You know, Bucks and Steelers, some of the most competitive teams in the league. Giants, not so much, but three interceptions last week off Alex Smith. But the differential, like I had mentioned a couple of minutes ago, is still at zero. So until we're getting complementative play, we need the offense to protect the ball a little bit more. We may see those turnovers yield better results. So it was just something that I saw. It was just a little surprise to say, whoa, they're taking the ball away a lot. Mm. Why are they still here in the differential? They're not getting the complimentative uh, play from both sides of the ball. No, I think that's a, group, uh, a great point. And I think to me, like the other guy, like, we didn't mention Darius Slayton's name once in the entire show. And I, we do, he was a big focus the last time, um, you know, and I thought that Darius Slay did a great job in that matchup. I think he had a couple catches, but nothing obviously backbreaking. I think when you look at Darius Slayton, uh, he is the true game breaker down the field. Evan Ingram hadn't really been used that way up until the last couple of weeks. They're starting to, you know, feature some more vertical route concepts with him getting, you know, using that athleticism, using that four, four speed down the field. But uh, I think really, you know, Darius Slayton is the guy that we didn't necessarily talk about this week that uh, we kind of left him on the, cutting room floor um, and one of the guy in that receiver room that we saw a little bit more of the past couple of weeks austin mack out of ohio yeah. state really interesting well-rounded receiver good height good weight good speed good hands can win all over the field i don't know what he does well but he's just a really good well-rounded receiver and if you go and see who's the number 81 out there and you may think in a three receiver set who's 81 don't sleep on this kid because he can maybe go three for, you know, 90 and a touchdown on you and be that third option after, uh, you know, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. Yeah, no question. I think that's a, certainly a big one. Is there a, a one-on-one matchup uh, that you're most excited for in this game? Yeah, it's going to be one we didn't see. So one changing position, the Giants offensive line, Will Hernandez, uh, now out with COVID. That means rookie left guard Shane Lemieux out of Oregon is going to step in there. He had played a little bit of fullback and swing tackle early in the season. Very athletic player, quick off the ball, not really a mauler, not really a people mover. He's going to struggle in pass protection against some bigger bodies. Who could that be? Maybe Malik Jackson there at three tech, maybe putting Fletch over on the right side for a couple of reps against him. That is not a good matchup for Shane Lemieux. Love his quickness off the ball. Good run blocker, experienced player coming out of Oregon, decent size. But if he's one-on-one pass row against a Malik Jackson of the world, that's an advantage the Eagles have to take, uh, you know, really capitalize off. You know, one thing we talked about late this week, uh, or earlier this week, rather, uh, with Greg Cosell here on the podcast was, you know, this is a team, the Eagles, that 
they're getting healthy, right? We talked about, I talked about it last week on Eagles game plan as well. You got uh, Dallas Goddard, Jalen Rager, Jason Peters returning to the lineup uh, against Dallas in week nine. Uh, this week, there are reports. Isaac Sayamalo, his practice window is activated. Miles Sanders potentially on the way back. Alshon Jeffrey potentially on the way back. You're starting Brian, to it see. Was, it was tough to get any more injured. You know, yeah, there's no only question. room to go up kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, right. Exactly right. <laughs> I mean, knock on wood. Don't let, you know, we don't want to uh, try and jinx that. But I think <laughs> when you look at, uh, you know, the, this, this offense, getting healthy and all these pieces coming back in. So the matchup that I'm most interested in is going to be Dallas Goddard, uh, the tight end, matched up on Jabril Peppers because Peppers has been their primary uh, their primary tight end matchup guy, uh, whether especially when they're in their sub package. But uh, that's a one-on-one that I'm most excited to see. Remember, Peppers gave up that game-winning touchdown against Boston Scott back in week seven uh, on a vertical route. Goddard was only, he only had one catch on one target. He was targeted another time, but it was uh, there was a penalty that brought the play back. I think when you look at Goddard now a, a full week uh, and change now with the bye week removed from coming back from that injury, I would expect that he'll be a bigger part of this offense. And, and with Zach Hurts still sidelined, I think that he could be a huge, huge part of this game plan. You know, Fran, before we really put this matchup to bed, where do you kind of see the future of, of this Giants football team? You know, you look at some of these players, they have an IR with Nate Solder, Saquon Barkley, Xavier McKinney. They spent really high draft capital, nice player out of Alabama that we think will be a fixture of that defense for hopefully eight to 10 years. Is this team trending in the right direction or are they still kind of idling in this rebuild mode? I just saw a projection of the top 10 draft picks. I think three of the top five were in the NFC East. Some people are thinking, do they hit reset on quarterback already? I see a team that's really trending up, and I see a lot of the issues kind of in the mirror with them, like we had mentioned on the offense and turning the ball over. I think they're kind of putting together the right pieces, figuring out what they have, figuring out who's a cornerstone. But I see this team kind of moving from being a bottom-dwelling unit to kind of the middle of the pack. And I think that's what you want with a young, you know, kind of developing roster. Yeah, and I said the quote uh, with Greg earlier this week too. I mean, Jason Garrett said, I think it was in week five, week six, it was not like very early in the season, but he was like, we're still trying to figure out what we're good at offensively. Like they were still trying to kind of find their way. Obviously you lose your best player. You lose Saquon Barkley um, back in week one or week two. And I think when you look at that loss, they really had to kind of reshape the way that they looked at that offense. They're not getting great play out of Daniel Jones. That to me is the big question they have to answer over the next eight weeks, right? For them going into the off season is Daniel Jones, the answer at quarterback. You don't want that to be up in the air because if you do end up with a top eight pick, a top seven pick, we talk about this every single week on the Journey of the Draft podcast, uh, driven by AAA. You look at obviously you're out, you're probably out of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, but you look at Justin Fields, you look at Zach Wilson out of BYU, you look at Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. You could be in play for one of those three players, and if you don't feel like Daniel Jones is the answer. Well, the new coaching staff might say, yeah, like let, let's go with one of these three guys. There are other quarterbacks that could be on the market as well. Who knows what happens with Dak Prescott? Maybe he wants to go up to New York. I think that could be uh, really interesting. So I, I think ultimately they have to realize what Daniel Jones is. Outside of that question, I think defensively you're starting to really see an identity, and that group is playing really hard. Offensively, they're they're playing really hard. They're a competitive, tough football team. So uh, I think, yeah, they, the arrow is certainly pointing up. you got to give a lot of credit to Joe Judge and Patrick Graham, that coaching staff, uh, for trying to get the most out of what they've got because uh, you know some of these, even some of these high picks haven't necessarily worked out over the last few years, but they're really getting a, a lot out of the players that they've got right now. 
Yeah, I think that's well said. Just kind of looking at the roster. I'm like, you know, I like a lot of the pieces. They get some of these guys healthy. You know, Shane Zamini's back, Lorenzo Carter. They need they need a, a twitchy quarterback killer off the edge. They're, they need that guy, yes. They're really struggling with that. You look at who's leading the team in pressures right now. Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, B.J. Hill. It's really not the formula you want. B.J. Hill is a nice player, you know, so is uh, Leonard Williams. But, uh, you know, I just think they're in a good position next draft to kind of see where the board falls to them and just get better at, you know, wherever they can. But that's what's crazy is that despite the fact they don't have that guy and despite the fact that, you know, no O'Shane Zeminis was a third-round pick, no, Lorenzo Carter got hurt uh, a couple of weeks ago as well, so he's on injury reserve. I mean, they're still eighth in sacks. They're sixth, they've got six third-down sacks. They're tenth in sack percentage. They're middle of the pack uh, when it comes to pressures and pressure rate. I mean, they're they're you know doing a nice job. They just don't have that one guy. But then I think back to these New England teams, uh, where again, where these guys come from, they don't necessarily. That's not necessarily the school that they that they that they've come from either. That's all. I'll be interested to see how they try and address that if they if they prioritize that necessarily going into the draft or you know into the off season. Um, if that's an area of priority for them, but uh, I'll tell you what, they've they've got a lot of young pieces, and again, they're they're playing really hard. So I'll, I'll certainly give them uh, a lot of credit at this point. Let's now uh, transition to the next part of this discussion, and that's uh, your favorite stats of the week. Is there a number or two that uh, you feel is really important, really pivotal for this matchup? Yeah, you know, I, I like Daniel Jones. I think he's getting better right now. He's fourth in the NFL in third down completion percentage. Fourth in the NFL completion percentage on third down. What is that telling me? He's getting the ball out of his hands, taking what the defense gives, which is great for a young quarterback. But Fran, what happened last time we played the Giants? Third down, pressure look, got the ball out of his hands. What's been plaguing the Giants? Drops. Leading the NFL with 21 drops. 7% of passes have been dropped. So Daniel Jones is doing the right thing, getting the ball out, just like that third down play where Evan Ingram, ball right in the chest, got the ball out with a pressure look, popped right up, interception. That was the perfect snapshot of what's going on with the Giants. Daniel Jones is playing better, more decisive, accurate, getting the ball out. He needs help. And guys like Evan Ingram have to step up and help this kid. So I like that he's completing passes on third down. The drops are killing this team. Mm, yeah, I, that's what I think is the. That's kind of what I was saying earlier. Is they have to figure that out over the next eight weeks. Is it Daniel Jones or is it everybody else around him? Can they get him more weapons? Can they just kind of you know make themselves a little bit of a more consistent offense? And uh, you know, you look at some of the numbers. I mean, the pressure rate you know that speaks for itself, right? I mean, they're they're last in the league in pressures allowed. They're thirty first, thirty first in the league in pressure rate. They're thirty first in sacks allowed. They've given you know they're sacked eight times on third down so far this season. They have not been explosive. A lot of the time because they're not, he does not have the time. So uh, I think it's a really kind of an interesting discussion uh, that they're going to have to have in that building. Uh, let's get to the next part. I just kind of empty the notebook here. Anything else uh, from around the league that uh, you have found interesting just doing your film study? Yeah, a couple fun things. Josh Allen, a huge win last week against the Seattle Seahawks. They're sitting there at 7-2 and two atop the AFC East. Leading the NFL in play action touchdowns, yards, attempts, dropbacks, completions. Really like the run action and then taking the shot plays off of the uh, run action there, throwing the ball down the field to Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis. Really fun team, Buffalo Bills. Mm. Downfield receptions. We have a three-way tie at the top of the league. Justin Jefferson. Rookie at LSU, CD Lamb, rookie at Oklahoma, and DK Metcalf, second-year player at, at Ole Miss. Interesting body types right there. You have a huge 230-pound tank, and then CD Lamb and Justin Jefferson, kind of wiry slot receivers, all winning down the field in different ways. Pass rushing, 
Most sacks from the left side, Emmanuel Ogba with eight. Hmm. Most sacks from the right side, Trey Hendrickson with eight. Not the most household names you would expect to, to hear there, but two guys playing a really good ball. Emmanuel Ogba, Miami Dolphins. I'm not even sure if fans would know where he is right now. Trey Hendrickson uh, over there at New Orleans Saints playing a really good ball, uh, you know, blowing the doors off of the, the Bucks last week. And then the best QB right now under pressure, the best QB throwing under pressure, rookie Justin Herbert, over mm. 100 QB rating, 101.6 throwing under pressure. This guy is tough. He's gritty. He has the great mental makeup that he's going to hang in the pocket, not only make throws under pressure, but extend the play, fight to live another down, make plays with his legs and his arms in combination. It's a really fun team. And you have to remember, we had Philip Rivers in that pocket for the last 15 years. I think he broke the pocket twice in his career. <laughs> he was getting that ball out in timing and rhythm. It's really fun to watch Keenan Allen have some second reaction ability. You know, we know he can get open. Watch him get open in the scramble drill now. It's really fun to watch these guys and the confidence in the receiving core knowing this quarterback's going to extend the play. He's going to hold on. We got to keep playing and get open. This L.A. Chargers team is really well built. I'm excited for them in the future. That's a, a really good point. He's certainly a really fun player. All these young quarterbacks uh, say it's great for the league, and it's just a lot of fun to watch these guys uh, continue to kind of learn on the job and, and you know make big plays on a weekly basis. All right, man, let's get into our, our last segment here that you and I are going to do. Uh, it's time for our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben, so let's talk this week uh, about uh, Giants tight end Evan Ingram. And this guy, look, he was a, a really intriguing player coming out of Ole Miss, right? I mean, 6'3", 234, blew the doors off the combine, a truly dynamic presence at the position with every definition of the word. I mean, he ran sub 4'4". Four, four. Uh, he wasn't extremely productive. You know, at times I felt like he was a little bit underused, but... 42 starts in his career in college, 162 catches, uh, you know, just was a dynamic presence in all areas of the field uh, at, from the tight end position, ended up being a first-round pick. I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on him because, obviously, look, he, he has not quite lived up to that first-round mantle. I know uh, the durability has been a little bit of a concern. He's had issues with, uh, with drops as well, especially this year, has not been able to consistently stay healthy, like I said. Interesting, let's kind of reflect back on Evan Ingram coming out of college and then the, the value of that, of that kind of player in today's NFL. Yeah, he was an interesting athletic player at Ole Miss, 6'3", 235, ran that 4'4", at the combine with some really explosive broad and vertical jumps that kind of turned some heads, and he really separated himself with the other tight ends in the class, showing he has an explosive element to his game. My final projection, I thought he'd be a nice kind of H-back, move tight end, chess piece piece in the pass game. I like his advantage against some bigger linebackers and safeties and maybe even some slot corners, the way, you know, Trey Burton made so many big plays for us in this Eagles offense in that Super Bowl season in 2017. But some of the pros I had written down from his Ole Miss tape, fluid, athletic, tight end, diverse route tree, really good short area burst and snap in and out of his breaks. He could high point balls, a leaping ability, he could track the ball down the field really good vertical threat outside the numbers middle of the field can climb on off coverage really good down the field I think he had 10 receptions and three touchdowns in one of his seasons at Ole Miss but some of the issues I didn't like the way he used his frame to box out defenders at the catch point 
tons of concentration drops. And that was something we've seen again in his career with the Giants and some of the most recent tape we watched with the Giants. I feel like the last game, me and you watched, Fran, a couple brutal drops, a couple brutal drops in the Eagles game last matchup. So that's something that's kind of was a, a trait of his at Ole Miss that bled into the NFL. I, I, Don't dude, love his run blocking. Yeah, I know that's the thing. Is like everything you just said really kind of. I, I had a lot of the same things in my report. Um, you know, from a run blocking standpoint, uh, I know that you saw a lot of uh, a lot of concerns as well. Yeah, there's a lot of technique issue stuff. Lowers his head on contact. Bit of a hugger with his hands. A cut attempts. He's just diving at the floor. Minimal pass pro attempts. I think he had five pressures on like 70 attempts, which is a terrible rate. But collectively. You love his upside in the past game, and you really see kind of an Aaron Hernandez role with the New England Patriots that first year when they drafted him and Gronk in the same draft, and it was a lot of tight, two tight end sets, and Gronk did the dirty work as the wide tight end. Aaron Hernandez was that U tight end, that second tight end, a move tight end that's going to get a little bit more down the field opportunities, more double moves and things like that. And I think that's what Evan Ingram's really carved out his role with the Giants, but his consistency has really hurt them. And a lot of the things we're noting in his old mistape have shown up with the Giants. So here, let me ask you this question, because throughout his career in both coaching, with both coaching staffs that he's been under, they've really kind of said like, all right, he's not going to be a true three down, uh, you know, run pass option for us, right? Like he was always been paired, uh, you know, with another tight end or two tight ends to say like, all right, like these guys are going to help us in the run game. He's going to be a pass catcher for us. And so they've had to play a lot of 12, a lot of 13 personnel. You know, now it's, uh, it's Caden Smith. I know that they've worked in a lot of guys over the last couple of years. Rhett Ellison was a big player for them over the last couple of years. And he's always had to be paired with one of those other guys. So let me ask you this. When you look at a player like that with that skill set in your mind, if that's what his ceiling is, if that's what he becomes, is he worthy of a fir- is that worthy of a first round pick? If you're saying like coming out of Ole Miss, this is what he's going to be, and he's not going to be more than that. Would you still take that player uh, in the first round? Even if he, let's just take the drops out and say that you know he could be a dynamic pass catcher, but you're going to have to play a lot of twelve personnel. You're going to have to adopt this style be- just because he's not going to be what you want in the run game. Well, it's really interesting to think about because you look at the tight ends in the first round there. O.J. Howard, which you thought was going to be an elite two-way tight end with that ability to block on early downs and the you know athletic upside in the pass game with that huge frame. Then Evan Ingram and then David Joku, who's more of an Evan Ingram upside in the pass game type. So positional value and what they're asking, being asked to do and what you can provide is going to be really interesting because if you look at Evan Ingram and say he's just a matchup guy in the pass game, Take an explosive receiver there that's maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, ready to play and more of a plug and play piece for your offense. But having this kind of move tight end here that isn't an elite pass catcher, isn't an elite explosive athlete, isn't an elite, you know, guy in the pass game, really nice player. But I think what you're asking, Fran, is the conversation of draft capital versus the quality of player and the skill set of the player. And if it is just a one dimensional move tight end, is this warrant a first-round pick? We've seen a lot of these types, whether it's the Tyler Eiferts or the Zach Ertzes of the world, really fall to more of the day two kind of ballpark for them. So looking back on Joku and looking back on Evan Ingram, you think the Browns and the Giants are okay with the the draft capital and value they've uh, they've allocated? I guess that's the question. And you look at Denver, right? Denver, they just selected Noah Fant, what was it, last year, uh, 2019, in the first round. I kind of saw Fant 
as a similar kind of player. He came from a pro-style offense where he was asked at times to put his hand in the dirt and block defensive ends, block linebackers, and men in the line of scrimmage. But that wasn't necessarily his bag. That wasn't necessarily his game. And that's what I find interesting is that you, know, you look at Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz has never been a dominant blocker. But he's been, he's been enough of a blocker that if you play 11 personnel, it's not a telltale sign for the defense that, oh, they're going to throw the ball. So he's not a true one-way guy. and that's why I, But it, on the other hand, I look at him like, all right, well, if I can only have a, a one-way player that's a dynamic pass catcher and not a good blocker versus a guy that is a great blocker and just a zero as a pass catcher, the, the, the former, the, the pass catcher, is the harder one to find and therefore has a little bit more value, right? So it's, I kind of go back and forth on it and say, like, all right, well, uh, you know, yeah, is it an ideal situation in round one, top 20 picks, uh, to take a guy who's not really a, a three-down player, um, you know, not a truly versatile weapon because of the questions he's got in the run game? You made the comparison to Aaron Hernandez. I think everybody, when Aaron Hernandez was at his peak in New England, right, everybody, I think anybody in the media, any fan would say, yeah, he's a home run first-round pick. But the, one of the reasons Hernandez was so great was that they played 12 personnel and they played the matchups. They, they, weren't, they were doing it before anybody else in the league was really doing it. Uh, everybody kind of you know, went that direction more so afterwards. But you know, the way that they were able to play, that allowed Hernandez to be the player that he was. I think it's a, a really, really interesting discussion when you talk about uh, using a player like that. And a scheme, if he's using the right situation, this guy could be dynamic. He could be a great, great player. If not, now I think you're going to have questions about okay well what can this guy really be for us well i think the case studies inside that 2017 draft are worth looking at yeah. you look at gerald gerald everett with the rams in round two very similar type of usage and player to evan ingram johnu smith third round pick to the tennessee titans similar type of usage and player to evan ingram so can you have gotten that same type of value and production on maybe day two as opposed to that first round pick. Yeah. I think these are some of the lessons you have to learn and say, what did we like so much about Evan Ingram? What didn't he provide for us so far? Where could we have gotten that elsewhere? What didn't we like about John o. Smith to take him in round one? What did we like so much about Evan Ingram to say, you know what, we could probably just take him in on day two. So there's something different in there that separated all those guys on their board. So I think looking back and reflecting and having those post-mortems on your draft class are important to, uh, to kind of learn and, and project moving forward. Let me ask you this question. Does the value of a player like Ingram change depending on who that other tight end is opposite him? If you're going to say, okay, we're going to take Ingram, we're going to play a lot of 12 personnel – does, that, does it change the math? Does it change the equation if that other tight end is, um, you know, for Rob Gronkowski uh, versus uh, Nick Boyle or Jack Doyle or Vance McDonald, right? I feel like that then that says, all right, man, like now both these guys can be really dynamic pest catchers. Now we really have to make sure that we're geared up here. Oh, yeah, and by the way, they could still run the ball out of these sets. I feel like that even kind of changes the value. Engram becomes a little bit more dynamic if well, Fran, talk, talk about it with with our own backyard. Talk yeah. about what what was it with Zach Ertz early in his career? Who did he have? Who was the wide tight end with the Philadelphia Eagles when Zach Ertz joined the Eagles? Yeah, it was Brent. I mean, you had Brent Selleck here, you know, kind of at the peak of his no career. question. So, what was the pressure on Zach Ertz as a young player? I don't have to be the wide tight end here. I'm the move tight end. I could survive with some of these move assignments and backside cuts and stuff. Brent's going to do the dirty work. Brent's going to teach me. I'm going to learn. That wasn't the situation Evan Ingram walked into. Yep. They drafted Evan Ingram in the same offseason. They went out and spent money on Red Ellison from the Vikings to go get a blocking tight end after you just spent first-round draft capital on a tight end. You know, it's also important to look look at the fourth round and fifth rounds. And, 
yeah, there's there's George Kittles in this draft as well. Yeah. So, you know, and and they thought there was another kind of a late round OJ Howard and Jeremy Sprinkle to the to the Washington football team in the fifth round. So yep. really interesting kind of draft and profiles of these this tight end group. And again, that's not to slam Evan Ingram because Ingram again is one of the most dynamic players at the position in this draft or in this. Uh, in but this it's a reflection right on where you're taken. No yes, question. Exactly, and that's the thing. It's like I think going into this game, Evan Ingram is a player, and we talk about him on the show on Eagles game plan this week. He is a guy that you've got to be able to stop. They funneled the offense through him right now in the passing game, I and mean, he's by far and away has got the most targets on this in this offense, especially over the last month. That, he has really taken a jump in terms of being a focal point for this pass game. He's going to have his drops, but he also has the great plays as well. He had that diving touchdown this past week down the seam against Washington in the red zone where you're going to see him make those kinds of plays. He's just you've got to account for it as a defense. I just think the tight end position is just a fu- such a fun one to discuss. You and I did our deep dive on it uh, a couple of weeks ago on the Journey to the Draft podcast, where we went under the hood and talked about all the traits we like and the value and things like that. But fun to kind of continue it here uh, with this kind of pro example. The, even the undrafted in that year are fun. I mean, Ricky Seals Jones undrafted, really interesting athletic matchup. Who's carved out a nice career? Dan Arnold. Yeah. To the New Orleans Saints at, at a Wisconsin Platteville. Two, Platteville. Two, two college receivers right there. Yeah, no question. So, you know, it's really interesting just to kind of look at, uh, you know, who was taken, where they were taken, and where they've uh, since taken their careers in in the short four years. It's a it's a fun discussion to have. Well, Ben, uh, thanks so much once again for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll talk to you this week here on the Journey of the Draft. Raise a glass to that comforting feeling of an Eagles touchdown with the all-new Broad and Patterson Wine Collection created in partnership with Wink. Featuring a Cabernet, a Rosé, and a Chardonnay, Broad and Patterson wines are the perfect pairing for any occasion. Now you can bring the sweet taste of victory with you to a dinner with friends or to the tailgate with your game day crew. Purchase online today at philadelphiaeagles.com wine to stock up and have Broad and Patterson delivered right to your door. A portion of proceeds from every bottle benefit Eagles Autism Foundation. Experience the fastest internet and more in a snap. With Xfinity XFi, you get the speed, the coverage, the control, and security you need for the ultimate in-home Wi-Fi experience. Xfinity, proud partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Don't miss your chance to be in the stands at Lincoln Financial Field this season with an Eagles fan cutout. Put on your game day best and upload a photo of yourself so that you can still join us on game days. Fan cutouts printed by Rico are only $100 with net proceeds benefiting Eagles Autism Foundation. Your purchase will also waive the registration fee for the 2021 Eagles Autism Challenge event. Order yours at PhiladelphiaEagles.com cutouts. Great stuff from Ben, who you could follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know, I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show. But the other way is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to a couple people who did exactly that. M. Cruzito left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts saying, listening from Texas, avid listener, loyal Eagles fan, love the show, and appreciate us not holding back when there's some criticism for the team and the coaches when needed. Appreciate that, Cruzito. And then CooperDog51 left a five-star review saying, love the film breakdowns, love the show. Thanks to both of you. Uh, really appreciate that, M. Cruzito and CooperDog51. All right, to wrap up this show, I told you I caught up with Eagles corner Avante Maddox to talk about his background, especially entering the NFL. We'll hit on that right now in this one-on-one. 
Well, joining us this week, Eagles cornerback Avante Maddox. Avante, thanks for joining us, man. No problem. All right, so let's talk about your background, your history. You've, obviously, you're playing cornerback uh, this year. So far in the NFL, you've played outside corner, you've played nickel, you've played safety. How long have you been playing DB? Has it been like since your, your whole life when you first started playing football? Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been playing DB for my whole – actually, I played a little bit a linebacker in Little okay. League, but – other than that, once once I got into high school, I've been playing DB. What was that transition like when you they said, "All right, we're, we're going to put you out in space. We're going to have you play uh, play some DB." Uh, it wasn't too hard because I was already like fluent, fast. Um, I always had good hips. Um, you know, recognizing plays and things like that. So it wasn't too bad. Did you play other sports growing up? Oh uh, yeah, I played um, baseball and basketball, but. I played baseball first. That was my first love, you know. I played that for a while before I started football. Is there one uh, aspect of playing corner that you feel has, uh, you know, best been impacted by either baseball or basketball? Like, was it uh, playing man-to-man defense? Was it, you know, tracking the ball, playing baseball? Uh, what were some of those things that carried over? Uh, definitely, i say two things. Um, on the um, defensive side, when you're on b- playing baseball, definitely with tracking the ball. Uh, it's not easy tracking that fly ball in, in baseball. And, you know, I kind of do it in football. You know, it's up there. you got to be able to track it. Also, with like moving lateral, you know, when you're still in bases, you got to go either still to second or you got to get back to first because they're throwing at you. So it's kind of reacting like left and right, mm. and that definitely helped you out at, in football at corner because you know you press and you got to react left and right. What did you play in baseball? Uh, I played shortstop. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, so did, when you played, uh, were you like a big double play guy? Did you have a lot of range? Well, what was your skill set when you played shortstop? Uh, I had I had a lot of range. I had a good arm too. So okay. you know, I think ball can be be close to third base, and, you know, it gets through him, and I'm coming to grab him, and I'm throwing him out. <laughs> but, you know, we, we I turned up plenty of double plays, um, definitely when I was younger. Uh, other than that, I played a little center field. Okay. So I could track some, like I said, tracking the ball, and that was definitely a big thing. One thing, uh, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. If you could go back to being a kid, like being you know, a little kid, you know, whether it was uh, Little League baseball, playing basketball, football, is there, like, what, what sport would you go back and say, like, man, if I could just play, like, one practice – which which of those sports would you play? I, I, I would play baseball. Yeah, I definitely for sure. Would. I hundred percent agree. What, <laughs> what, what what was your favorite part of baseball practice? Ah, uh, you know, just the start of you know warming up, you know throwing 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 playing catch, seeing how far you can throw the ball, getting your arm ready, and then after that, you know, my second favorite part would probably be um, um, batting practice. You know. I'd be trying to hit the ball over the fence all the time. It might not go all the way over the fence, but I'd be trying. Um, other than that, then you got, you just feel it. You know, you're working on plays, uh, double plays, you know, situational foot, um, baseball, you know, when the ball hits the right field, you know, cutoffs, things like that. And then you have a little short uh, short scrimmage at practice. So you do like kind of like a three-on-three type deal. And that, that was a fun part when I, back then playing baseball. Hey, you talked about, you know, the, the uh, being able to track the ball and play the ball in the air. You've been a productive player going back to your days uh, through Pitt. Is that something do you feel is coachable for defensive backs? Or do you feel like guys just kind of have a knack for always kind of being around the football and being able to, to finish at the catch point, whether it's for an interception or for a pass breakup? Uh, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, it's hard to kind of coach that. I feel like it's um, you got to have ball skills. And, you know, it's something, like I said, I've been working on it since I was yay high. And, you know, I was always like, you know, when the ball, tracking the ball, you know, in baseball or football. So it just like just kept picking on and on and on. And then as I got older, I just always had a nag for it, you know, when the ball is in the air. But, you know, if you haven't, haven't like worked on ball skills as much, it's kind of a little bit hard. It's challenging. Ball skills is very challenging when you just playing him and then turn around playing the blur of the ball. It's very challenging. And then the last question for you, you talk about when you first come into the league, and I mentioned you played all three of those spots your rookie year. 
some guys, it, it, you know, they need a little bit of time to just kind of develop. What was it for you that allowed you to kind of come in and be ready to kind of wear all those different hats as a rookie? Oh, you know, my mind was open when I got here. Um, you know, they told me I would be a nickel here. And, you know, when I got in here, I just I learned a nickel spot. And as I learned a nickel spot, I was just taking little key points out of whatever the safeties would be or whatever corners would be here, just in case something happened like that. You know, when that opportunity came upon, you know, they asked me to do it. And I was I was hands on ready, you know, willing to learn. Definitely. Plus, I have great veterans in the back end to help me out as well. Got to give them props. But, you know, other than that, you know, just just willing to take on that uh, opportunity and, you know, try to produce as much as I can to help us win. Was there one guy that in particular that kind of helped take you under his wing? I feel like everybody's got that one guy that really helped them early on. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, all them guys, to be honest. But, you know, when I first got in, um, I played a lot of – I played in the nickel, and, then, you know, all the guys was helping me then. But then once I moved back to safety, it was a little bit different because that would be my first time playing safety. And, you know, Malcolm – I sat right next to Malcolm in the locker room, and he used to help me every day. I used to ask him questions 24-7. Um, so I definitely give some to Malcolm, and then you know Rodney was definitely a huge help because he was he was hurt at that moment. So all he could do is just you know coach me up. So I definitely give him two definitely big props on you know helping me out in the safety end. Avante, this has been great, man. Great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for joining us here on our one on one. Thank you. Well, thanks so much to Avante Maddox and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings here at Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.